a ratio marketing podcast. By virtue of being a vulnerable population, they've they've been marginalized. And I think the thinking, not I think, I know, the thinking has been that the folks who are dual eligible are sicker than your average population, certainly sicker than your Medicare fee-for-service, certainly sicker than um, a person on Medicaid. And what makes it so challenging is that do folks who are like frontline clinicians, like doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, do they feel like they're equipped enough to be able to deal with things that are like social determinants as opposed to managing your congestive heart failure or your COPD? Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm your host, John Farkas, and today I'm joined by two remarkable people who are helping lead into the horizon of healthcare transformation. Uh, Mac Davis and Dr. Ramon Jacobs-Shaw are joining us from Belong Health. And Belong is working to expand the availability and improve the delivery of healthcare benefits to Medicare-eligible people across the country with a special focus on special needs populations. And they're partnering with regional health plans to bring a whole-person model of care to patients who really need it the most. And we're talking uh, medical, behavioral health, substance abuse, and social services coordination. And their platform is supporting the clinicians and the patients and the health plan teams that are working to serve those really complex and challenging uh, populations. So as you guys know, here on Healthcare Market Matrix, we're exploring how technology companies can enhance their market presence to address the industry's pressing challenges. And so today in this episode, uh, we kind of get to play both sides of the equation. Uh, Ramon's firsthand experience with the healthcare system as a chief clinical officer and Mac's uh, perspective on working to advance data interoperability are going to really kind of work together to provide some really good insight, especially as we are considering solutions that serve uh, those folks who are working to help underserved patient populations. Um, so Ramon and Mac, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. Thanks, John, for having us. John, thanks so much. Happy to be here. Great. So let's begin and dive in to learning more a little bit about what brought you into the place you are now. Mac, let's let's start with you. What what got you to this point? Yeah, I, I like like many people, I think in health tech, I was uh, hired by one of the large EMR companies out of um, out of undergrad, and really, I think cut my teeth on what good looks like um, working uh, for a variety of of analytics firms, and in, including a, a startup uh, that that we then uh, sold to Cotivity, where I managed a variety of solutions and, and was able to kind of cut. Uh, cut my teeth in the payer side as well as uh, the, the provider side. So like my, my goal has largely been to make sure that we're delivering solutions to both payers and providers that are driving 
uh, efficiencies that are ultimately helping our members and patients uh, at the end of the day. And so a lot of my goal at, at Belong is to focus on uh, how do we build products that uh, or deploy products uh, that are uh, helping us make that impact uh, day in, day out, and enabling Ramon and his team to be the best that they can be. Awesome. When did you start in the HR world? How long ago was that now? Uh, oh, 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 about 12 years ago. And what, if if you were to, and this is a, uh, throwing you on the spot a little bit here, but if you were to characterize what some of the major shifts that you've seen from the time, because I know there's been a lot of movement in yeah. how that space is addressed. But when we're talking especially around interoperability, what would you say has been some of the biggest moves that you've seen in that uh, in that space and time? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's been probably a couple of shifts of shifts explicitly. One, I think standards have become more standard, and I think there's there've always been standards about, but the ability of uh, the ecosystem of vendors to actually execute well against those standards has been mm-hmm. has had a lot of variation, and that's starting to kind of close down. Uh, and so I think people have always argued about this standard or that standard when the reality is the vendors just need to conform to them. And I think we've started to see that with the industry kind of coalescing around TEFCA and kind of the next generation of interoperability. But um, I think the other piece is uh, kind of the expansion of uh, these core admin systems to include a larger scope. So um, yep. the, the more integrated and native capabilities that are within these core operating systems um, on the provider side, the better. I don't think we've seen that same uh, success rate on the payer side as much. Um, so on the payer side, there, yeah. there isn't kind of a core operating system of a, of a, for a health plan the same way that there's a core operating system um, that covers patient accounting practice management inpatient outpatient that we see uh, with like the Epics or Oracle Cerners of the world um, that can perform a a huge portion of the overall functions of the hospital with one uh, with one core workflow tool. Um, so I think yeah. the, those would probably be the two of the big pieces. But then I think the third would just be the expansion of, of what we think of as healthcare. Um, so a lot of these systems and tools are def- were very much a, let's figure out how we take care of Hospi- members. Hospital centric. Yeah. How do we take care of these members within the four walls of, of this room? And now, uh, it's about how do we take care of these members outside of these four walls, and then how do the systems um, kind of evolve in order to to account for that? Yeah, very cool. Uh, and yeah, I think that there's definitely it's going to be an interesting even the next two years uh, seeing how those systems are going to move to incorporate broader and broader swaths of uh, of the operations. It's going to be it's a uh, Interesting days for people in the healthcare technology realm. That's that's for sure. Uh, as we watch that's a lot an of that. understatement, John. Understatement, <laughs> which uh, ooh, folks listening to this are very well acquainted with. But uh, it's it's certainly uh, it, there's a lot of waiting and seeing going on right now, and uh, a lot of that has a lot of anxiety related to it. I think um, on a number of fronts. But Ramon, how about you? Tell us, uh, give us a little bit of your backdrop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you summed up Belong Health and what we do like so very well. Um, our focus is on those vulnerable populations. And listen, John, I, I come from a vulnerable popu- population myself. And so 
kind of growing up with um, less than ideal um, access to healthcare, um, what was definitely, you know, something that I, I was kind of very much familiar with and so can certainly relate to people, our members, our patients out there who don't have the best access to, to healthcare. Um, and so that for me was like the trigger to, to, to kind of go into, into medicine myself. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've worked in, I, I trained as both an internist and a pediatrician. Um, and I've worked in health systems. I've worked in large academic medical centers, um, and transitioned that work into, um, organizations like Caremore Health, um, which is based out of Southern California, where I, I worked as a regional medical officer and kind of oversaw the largest market in the country, kind of focusing on that, that, that Medicare population, as well as the dual eligible population specifically. Um, and then took that work into a place like Oak Street Health, where um, I helped to launch the New York market as the senior medical director. And for those of your, um, those of your subscribers that, that may not know Oak Street, Oak Street is uh, an organization focused on primary care for uh, the Medicare-eligible population. So that includes not only Medicare uh, folks, but also dual, dual eligibles. And so um, that, that's where my life's work has been. And what resonated with me about Belong and joining Belong is that that mission and vision to focus on a population, the dual-eligible population specifically, that has largely been, um, I've always kind of used the term overlooked and looked past. Um, by, by everyone in the system, whether it's health systems, uh, providers, uh, plans, um, you name it, um, people have kind of run away from the DSNET population. And, and trust me, the, the dual eligible folks out there have certainly felt that. Um, and so Belong has come along in order to like really fill that gap to bring the absolute best in care that we can um, via our platforms, our data, our analytics, our clinical uh, solutions in order to like really take care of them. So that vulnerable population um, focus has been like what has kind of like driven me throughout my career and certainly is what brought me to belong. So let's just stick the why behind the what a little bit. If you were, the, you, you said, you know, the organizations are running away from that population. Why, why is that? What's, what's the anatomy behind that problem and what's caused that to be in place? Yeah, by virtue of being a vulnerable population, they've they've been marginalized, and I think the thinking—not I think I know—the thinking has been that um, the folks who are dual eligible are um, sicker than your average population, certainly sicker than your Medicare fee for service, certainly sicker than um, a person on Medicaid. Um, so we know that they come with uh, with more chronic conditions, so chronic medical conditions. We know that uh, the rates of behavioral health, specifically mental health conditions, are more in the stool eligible population. Um, we know that there are vulnerabilities when it comes to social determinants of health um, and thinking about not just access to care, but some of these other social determinants. So think about transportation, yep. um, think about housing security, food security, uh, so many elements that affect someone's health that in traditional healthcare have not been viewed as like, you know, healthcare. Um, and so we know with these multitude of conditions of issues, like there are more resources that need to be kind of brought to bear in order to really address those needs, both primarily health related 
and primarily socially related that affect health. Um, and that's why folks have kind of shied away from this because it's, it's, it takes a lot more resources. And John, yep. to be frank, it's, 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 it's much more challenging. And what makes it so challenging is that, um, do folks who are like frontline clinicians, like doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, do they feel like they're equipped enough equipped. to be able to deal yep. with things that are like social determinants as opposed to managing your congestive heart failure or your COPD or, or, or one of those things? Yeah, with a predictable, a member of the more predictable population. Yeah, that's... Uh, right. Well, so, when we were going so, to listen, when we were going through school and our learning and our training, the focus was on on the workflows and clinical guidelines and best evidence to like address some of these these conditions, be it medical or behavioral. Um, but where was the training when we were when we were going through school and and, and residency um, on addressing some of these social determinants? And the, the the answer is that not much, if it if it any. Yeah, and we're talking a little bit about this. One of the questions I had, I'd love to to hear you guys talk about what is. Um, how do you see the culture of a healthcare system and how it impacts and empowers consumer transformation to reach underserved populations? How is that, um, how does that equation add up and, and what are you seeing move in today's world that is uh, maybe pushing some in that direction? Mac, you want to take a first stab? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that are pushing people to to care more for for these populations. One, I think people are starting to realize that the economic models that are underlying uh, how you support these populations are beginning to change, and people are starting to purposely design models um, to enable to basically enable uh, and put the resources that are needed in excess of what was traditionally built around a medical only environment to, to do that. Um, and so I think yep. there's, there's, uh, that's kind of the first piece. The second is people have gotten better, um, at being able to identify and collect and track the data to be able to enable effective and more effective interventions. Um, and frankly, it's the idea that for a while we didn't even know what interventions were effective. So you basically had to run every mm-hmm. health plan in the country was running test cases where they were essentially saying, I've got money, I'm going to put it into this intervention, and I'm going to study to see if it works with no real idea if it was going to have an ROI or not. And now I think we're kind of past that where we know, hey, the ROI is good if we can implement these programs really well. Um, and now we need a sustainable funding source and able to achieve that ROI at scale. And so um, I think it's just the general conversation of how it's developed from this uh, kind of tertiary thing on the sidelines to now it's something that people have experimented enough to know that it's somewhat proven. Um, but now we're learning how do we scale it and how do we do it uh more effectively so that we're, we're getting the best, uh, the best ROI we can from each of these interventions. Yeah. Ramon, given your backdrop and working with health systems and how, uh, how organizations approach integrating data, like Max is talking about there from different sources with the HR and how is that, how's that historically impacted who's eligible to receive care and where's that moving? Uh, 
such a great question, John. Um, do I think that health systems have done the best job at integrating <laughs> data? Um, you know, <laughs> I think I might know your answer to that can question. We, can we can we poll the subscribers out there, the the viewers who are listening to this? Um, I, I don't think that that's that's been. Um, listen, hindsight is uh, hindsight is always twenty is always twenty twenty, right? Um, I think what we know now is that. Um, having access to the most um, integrated data to paint a more comprehensive picture of the patient that's standing in front of us, if I'm a hospital, um, if I'm a primary care physician, um, that is, that, that's the ideal, right? That's the dream. That's the goal. Um, and I think we know now that the more pieces that we have to the puzzle of a person, the better that the next person can take care of that patient. So if, you know, Dr. Ramon here is seeing, you know, seeing this member, this patient, and I'm doing my work, um, I want to know that, um, that I can have as much access to information as I can so that I can be as effective as I can be at delivering the best care I can um, to, to that patient that's, that's standing in front of me. And that's, that's, that's what you know, all of my clinician peers out there wants to be able to do that. And so I think what we know now is that, yes, that's, that's, that's what we need. And we still have, we definitely have room to go on that. Um, and I think that health systems are now very much aware, <laughs> and I'm understating this, but very much aware that, you know, if we have more pieces to the puzzle ourselves, how can this help us and equip our people within our health health system to take care of that patient that's in the emergency room or showing up into urgent care or showing up into our provider, um, our primary care care network so that we can make sure that we're delivering the best care to that that patient as possible. So I think that now there's more alignment between everybody, health systems, plans, payers, as well as what our members and our patients out there want, right? They want people to know as much about them as possible. Um, ideally without having to recreate the wheel with every sort of interaction with the healthcare system as possible. Yeah. I think yeah, Matt, can you put some, some wheels on that a little bit? What have you seen employed to help some of that happen? What are some of the str strategies and ways that you've been able to prior prioritize relevant data points that can actually make a dent? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a couple pieces on the front side. I think where it's really about making sure that you're holding uh, like making as much of the data as real time as possible to the interventions that you you have, right? So if I've got interventions that require data right now, I need to make sure that my infrastructure is set up to actually support that. Um, on the backside, there's a significant number of interventions we can have with retrospective data too. So things like um, provider behavior change, et cetera, right? You don't necessarily need to do those in the moment. You can uh, try to affect activity moving forward. And so um, one of the, I think, larger challenges has been how do people um, take data from vastly different data sources with different contexts and try to provide those insights to a clinician or to a care manager, et cetera, in a way that um, consolidates the view without polluting the waters, essentially. So like for a while, people always argued, well, do you have EMR data or do you have claims data? Right. And um, clinicians and health systems would always say, oh, the EMR data is always better. Well, the, the accuracy of that EMR data is relevant partially to the time and place it was created within that encounter, 
um, in the same way that like the, the the claims data downstream is valuable for other certain use cases. But in order to develop that bigger picture that Ramon's talking about, I need both. And I need to be able to display that and, and combine that data to display to Ramon or others in a way that that provides that complete picture without kind of polluting or cross cross contaminating um, the purpose of that 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 data is used for in the health system. Um, clinicians like EMR data because it's built for to document treatment. They think of claims as administrative data that's created later. Um, but really, there are areas of it that are very accurate summarizations of, of like top-level events. And so you can use that effectively um, across, uh, uh, essentially across the care continuum. Um, but you have to be careful. Um, you don't want to take claims data that's been generated from EMR data and reverse engineer it into clinical data uh, for broad sets of use cases, you have to be specific. And I think the industry has finally kind of come to the realization that that's like the VA has actually done that from a, for a very long time, um, but, in, but, but broadly. And there were some challenges with that. And now I think the rest of the industry... And they have a, they have a lot more control over their data in that context. Know, arguably, uh, they uh, not entirely. They they the uh, they're getting better. Um, but they they would I think they'd be the first to tell you they've got a, a fairly uh, distributed network of of uh, where that they then try to centralize and, and standardize. But it's a very it's it's a large challenge because there are so many VA facilities across the country and so many people moving in and out of active duty. Um, over the last 25 years, but but um, but so like they 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 led probably the charge in trying to convert that claims data into clinical data um, compared to others. But now I think we're starting to see people do that more broadly, but also more specifically. Um, so like they're 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 doing it more often, but they're doing it for specific use cases. And I think that's where. Um, Organizations and tech companies that are starting today need to have the flexibility to to move across those multiple types of data that their customers are getting um, in order to to inform how they're surfacing insights to drive those actions. Um, because I want to be driving the actions no matter what the data source is. I don't I don't need to be uh, married to one or the other. At least in the environment that we live in at belong. Um, yeah, I mean, when we're close, when we're talking about closing gaps in care for underserved populations, we've got to, I mean, the social determinant equation is obviously a critical one. And so as we're looking at things like um, economic and environmental factors as they are pulling into the, you know, how they're having an effect on patient health, how are we... Um, how are we looking at addressing that? I mean, how, what are some of the practical ways that we can... Uh, that were, le- that, and I know this is a lot of what you guys were addressing. How are you going to leverage technology to to bring that that picture together? Yeah, listen, I think that. Um, uh, hey, Mac, I'll take a stab at it, and then you jump in there. How about that? Um, the before we can deliver an action, we first off have to know what we're what needs to be actioned, right? And I think one of the huge opportunities here is in um, data and gathering data about the populations that that we serve, um, and doing it in a in a thoughtful, um, comprehensive as possible way. Um, and I say that, for example, that you know, um, 
there's an opportunity here to really um, dive deep and get to know our populations, our membership, our patients more, more than ever. Um, and, you know, one, one of the partners we're working with right now um, is doing a really impressive um, kind of dive into this work specifically focused on um, health equity. And part of the challenge there that's been recognized by them, certainly recognized by, by a lot of folks, is that um, we need to know what the issues are with our patients, with our members, um, so that we can really drive something actionable. And the, the people that can do that on such a, such a, a really wonderful way um, are those folks that are like the regional community-based um, um, health plans, right? They're embedded in the neighborhoods and communities. They know their membership the absolute best. Um, and so, but we have to be thoughtful about knowing our people. And so one of those ways is how do we get structured standardized data, right? How do we know like the, the people that need um, access to more food resources, for example, for those who are suffering kind of like food insecurity, right? We're in a high inflationary environment right now. And so a lot of our, a lot of people out there, patients or members, everybody of all ages are really experiencing some of that. But how do you know the, the folks who are the most vulnerable of your populations and what they're experiencing if you don't have the data to like kind of really help surface those insights so you then know how to go action it. And so that's one of the main things I think is like making sure you know who your people are, your patients, your members, so that you can think about what actions can I do to do something for that group? And it all starts with that. Mac, I don't know if you have something different than that. No, I think that's really, really solid. The The one thing I'd add is people don't think about social determinants of health data being radioactive. This, so like the like homelessness, mm. right? It's good right now that someone could be housing insecure today and not in two months, or they could be fine today, but not in two months. And so like when you're thinking about whether it's belong, at least for us, as long as it's, if it's belong medical group or if it's um, belongs, uh, like care management on our, on our payer side. Um, the thing we care about most is that we're collecting data about members at specific points in our workflow and our annual kind of member journey to make sure that we're getting updated views of these social determinants in a very purposeful way. And then as Ramon mentioned, kind of standardizing it back, no matter what our collection method is, whether it's an HRA or whether it's their annual uh, their annual physical, or whether it's an in-home visit, uh, or whether it's a call with one of our psychiatrists at like post-discharge uh, from a hospital. And so um, our goal is make sure that we're capturing this information and then um, you've got the actions built upon it, but make sure you're continually looking to collect information about your members and get status updates. Um, I think that the biggest challenge is with, with many social determinants where there's a really impactful intervention uh, with a high ROI, are there things that can change in a in a, in a minute? So, <clears throat> how do we? Because you know, what we're talking about is pushing farther and farther into uh, stuff that resides outside of the episode of care, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's getting more and more understanding of the broader picture. Um, so, you know, we're looking at related programs like like diet and exercise and and how it pertains to medication adherence and blood pressure and uh, 
you know, updates on blood sugar. And then we push into mental health, which is a whole other set of, uh, of variables that are outside of the, uh, we'll call it the comfort zone or the well-trodden trails that we have in the context of the HR. Um, how do we, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the fundamentals in what needs to change in that approach to data? Like, how are we, how are we going to pull that stuff together into a picture that is going to make meaning in, in ways that uh, are going to, is going to move, move the needle? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we, there are a couple things that I think we're doing. The first is we're really focused around whole person, whole, whole person centered care. Right. And so like we talk about by getting outside the episode, like episodic care, it's important to be good during an episode, but um, to be honest, there's like, it's only like 40 per, 40 to 60% of actual healthcare that's delivered in the U S can you shove into like, in that box. into an episodic yeah. box. And so what do you do with the other care um, that providers are doing day in and day out, right? And so whether it's provider profiling and saying like, which doctors are the best, highest performing I want to send my members to, or whether it's like the actual care that we're looking to provide members and measure or the, the effectiveness of each member, episodic views are just an incomplete view across the board. Um, they served a purpose in, in helping, I think, the the country move along the the value based care journey. Um, but I think we're we're trying to focus on kind of the recentralization of risk for our members and the centralization of services to our members around this whole person model. Um, both finance, like making sure the financial incentive is there, and then making sure that our uh, care model is supportive of the whole person. And then, hey, that means our data model needs to be too. And so um, I think most people at this point probably have more comprehensive data models that they've built out in their solutions to support that. Um, but I think for, for us, it's kind of entry criteria. Um, uh, like it, it's it's the first gate someone passes. Can we um, can we extend the data model to support this because we know it's going to continue evolving or, or does it um, or does it kind of or, or is it very rigid and it's not something that's going to flex to um, our needs and kind of the frankly the market's needs moving forward mm-hmm. Ramon can you do you have some examples of cases where data integration and analysis have really where you've seen it very directly lead to improvements in patient care? And yeah, what are absolutely. some of the things? Um, John, I, thought, I, got a, I thought you I got might. A couple of <laughs> right off the top of my head. So one of the things that we've been uh, we've been working on um, is as a part of the work that we do, we have interdisciplinary care team meetings. So this is the clinical team. This is our nurse care managers, our social workers, our community health workers, our care coordinators, our pharmacists, um, and uh, our physician, um, which is which is myself in this particular team, and what we do is we discuss our members. Um, we discuss folks who have had health risk assessments that have come in with like new conditions identified. We've had folks who have had um, uh, a major event, you know, a major change in their health condition, uh, physical or, or mental. Uh, we've had people who've had transitions of care, right? So they've come out of um, hospitals, um, emergency rooms, skilled nursing facilities. Um, and we need to kind of wrap them, envelop them in, you know, in our, in our care team and what we're able to do for them. And so in those discussions, um, we, 
we have access to so many different data points for our members kind of sitting in the seat that we're in. And so in order to inform, say, for example, one of our nurse care managers is coming to today's ICT meeting. Um, at, but in order to prepare to discuss that patient, they will have spent a lot of time, let's just say, kind of pulling from different data sources in order to like prepare for that, for that discussion. And what Mac and team have done is actually significantly reduced that amount of time by pulling information automatically from these different sources where we are, where we have access to information and pulling that into a template um, for each individual member, right? So not just the whole population we're talking about, each individual member, we can pull that information in and say, okay, Mrs. Gonzalez, we're talking about her today. And I'm anonymizing, by the way, we're talking about Mrs. <laughs> Gonzalez right now. And Mrs. Gonzalez has diabetes, she has um, hypertension, she has heart failure, and we're looking at the list of medications that are coming over from our PBM, for example, with our partner, and we're able to see like, hey, you know, we can check the EMR data access or that last lab data and say, her diabetes is not that well controlled, and oh, look, her blood pressure is rising higher than normal in her last multiple visits with the primary care. Um, oh, and by the way, she's morbidly obese. Uh, what's the best treatment for her? And maybe the medications that are listed for her currently are not what's optimal right now because the guidelines shift and change for care. And I don't know, John, if you thought you were going to get away from a podcast without mentioning things like Ozempic and Monjuro <laughs> and all of that stuff, the GLP-1s, but there there are more treatments now to to really... Uh, that can affect not just the diabetes, but the outcome of what that diabetes affects, like heart disease, like risk of stroke, risk of other cardiovascular events. Mm -hmm. And so having this data kind of pulled into a place where we can review, discuss as a team, and then have that member, by the way, Mrs. Gonzalez, join that call and have this discussion with her while we've had access to all of this data there, that this data isn't just sitting out there randomly, this is being pulled, having a discussion and impacting Mrs. Gonzalez, all happening all in the same setting. So this is happening kind of constantly with the way that we're driving care um, here at Belong. So that's just one example. Yeah. And I think yeah. with, with that example, it's uh, when I hear it from the tech side, it's like, oh, like you're shoving a bunch of data sources into one. And that's I think that's been something that people have done for a long time. But what I think we're doing that's probably a little bit different is we're adding, we're basically contextualizing those data sources and helping our care team like leap over the cognitive stepping stones that you have to get to take from information to action. And so the goal isn't to say, here's just a bunch of raw data. It's to be able to summarize it in a way that identifies the problem across a variety of different data sources and contexts. Um, and so that involves like sometimes using AI, sometimes using kind of traditional uh, data engineering to, to accomplish those tasks um, and, and to be able to frankly do it at scale and whenever anyone on Ramon's team need wants it. Um, and so this at demand capability of uh, summarizing vast amounts of data, I think has been AI has been a, a big help, um, but in some cases, it's it's not always the right tool set. And so we're we're looking to apply 
those tool sets to help make sure that Ramon's team isn't spending time interpreting data, but is really spending time acting on data. Yeah, that's a, definitely a good um, a good delineation there because I think that it is you know so critical as we are you know and and I work hard I know with our clients as they're as they are interacting with the data they you know many of our clients have incredible access or create large data sets and the ability to um, to approach that with how can we how can we use and leverage that data to leverage or, or to inform other use cases or other elements within the uh, within the systems and healthcare, it just that interoperative component ends up being so critical and is so often um, I won't say overlooked, but under undervalued for sure in in what and how I see people approaching it. And so I'm guessing that that's you know th- those are some of the the bridges that you guys are helping to to cross. In that is uh, you know how are we gonna how are we going to pull that through into a place where it's going to actually make a difference in the lives of human beings that need it? Um, that's that's super critical, uh, Ramon. From your past experience, if you could, you know, if if you could share a piece of advice with a health tech company, you know, know from your from your clinical seat, um, and and I know that this is stuff you're applying now at Belong, but uh, you know from from back in your days in the clinical seat in a, in a healthcare environment, what advice would you have for health tech companies that are that are trying to to make their way in, that are trying to uh, you know to to show their value to an organization? Um, what 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 uh, what are some pet Yeah, what are some pet that you experienced? Yeah, well, we've got some time, so I want to leave some time for this uh, for this question. Uh, listen, um, I'll be brief. Um, I think oftentimes what is what can certainly be missing out there is the you know the individual person, the individual patient perspective, um, and you know that's what a, a person like myself, as the chief clinical officer at Belong, is to bring. Kind of given my experience with you know taking care of of, of patients um, all over. I mean, I, I've been a hospital based doctor. Um, I've taken care of folks in their home, in skilled nursing facilities, um, and am a primary care physician. And so I've been able to meet our patients where they are to deliver that care. Um, Our patients want to be listened to. um, And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, um, the dual eligible population, for example, has specifically been marginalized and, and looked past and overlooked, right? And so people just want to know that their voice is being heard, that their concerns are being heard. And I think for health tech companies specifically um, is, um, I think I saw, I saw this kind of on a, a LinkedIn post um, at some point this year. Um, and someone kind of made the point of like, you know, if you don't have a kind of a clinical eye, kind of like kind of sitting in the seats where these discussions and these decisions are being made, um, then you're you're just a tech company in healthcare, um, and so um, and so I think it's important to have the clinical voice be present um, in the rooms when discussions are being made about patients, about what we're doing with people out there um, that are that are touching healthcare, some more frequently than others, um, and that clinical voice to be able to say, here's what my patients actually feel versus what you think they might be feeling. Um, that that makes a 
that makes a huge difference. Um, so that's just yeah, that's just one. I've I've heard uh, I've heard that from a number of you know a lot of who we are talking to are healthcare executives and uh, what I hear very frequently when they're being you know when somebody's coming to them with a technology solution is okay where's your clinician um, you know where's mm-hmm. the person in the room that actually knows what I'm dealing with here because if I if I don't see that or you guys aren't regarding that high enough to have somebody in this conversation coming from a informed clinical perspective, uh, we've got a problem, you know, there's going to be a miss here. And I think that that, you know, anytime we're touching, uh, touching real people in the context of, of their healthcare journey, um, having a really clearly informed person, it's not just about the tech, right? It's, it's about the people that are benefiting from the tech and what really needs to happen for that benefit to occur. And, and we can imagine that when we're, uh, when we're developing software, but uh, we really ha- there has to be a real clear line to the actual clinical use case, real world scenario, understanding what happens in the pressure cooker. Um, that, that has to be a, a big part of that. How, are you guys, how do you guys approach that as you are, are looking at the development of your your products and how you're connecting those to the market. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things that we're specifically, uh, at least on the tech side, our developers are, uh, I would say, very highly trained on what the workflows actually are. And then we empower our developers um, and analysts and others to essentially learn the operational role of those that they're looking to support. Um, I think one of the challenges is people thinking of their uh, development shops as like Ford factories for like assembly line factories for, for healthcare development. And that's not how it works. Um, it, it, most of the solutions that, that take that approach have a harder time breaking into healthcare because the people that are building the solutions um, aren't contributing to how to solve the problem in the most efficient way. Um, and it's because they're not be. I mean, they're either not in a position to, or they're they don't have the knowledge from their business partners to do it. Um, and so I think we work very hard on breaking down those silos and making sure that our developers really understand why they're developing what they're developing and like how they're developing. Like, why is the how the way that it is? And um, that's something that I don't think is is super broad across uh, many startups in the early days. Um, so I would I would encourage everyone to say uh, we don't just have developers, you really have your developers are an extension of your product team um, and your product team are an extension of your developers and your clinicians should be an extension of both as well. Um, it, it's putting people in silos does not tend to work in, in healthcare like it can. If I'm developing a fintech product or a, a, a marketing tech product, yeah, Ramon, how do you see your role in that equation? Um, gosh, almost like a, a translator. Is that a good way to put it, Matt? Yeah. Almost as like a translator. I, I was, um, was going to say sometimes it's like a special ed teacher and translator. <laughs> like it, uh, so like it's. Uh, I mean, it's the same thing. Like sometimes you're you're providing healthcare 101 lessons, or Ramon is providing healthcare 101 lessons, and Sometimes he's going really, really deep in, into why the differences, the minute differences between two clinical codes. 
Um, and those things, those differences do matter at the very minute level, but also at kind of the top line 101 process level. Um, and so clinicians have to be good at kind of going deep into the weeds and pulling up and knowing um, kind of this is this is where and I think that's where, frankly, we get lucky with Ramon and, and, and some of our other clinicians is that they can do that. And that's also not a common skill set in clinicians to be able to go really deep into the annals of like uh, uh, like of, of, of coding or, or how a process really works and then kind of pull up and to be able to say, but the most important things to remember from a process standpoint are A, B, and C. Uh, because developers need the detail and they need the high level view to help center them on what's important. John, this is bi-directional too. Um, as much as I'm and um, I'm an interpreter for this as well, um, like my my data and analytics colleagues here are are kind of doing the same thing and like teaching me tons as well. And just that sure. kind of experience and collaboration over the years kind of informs being able to kind of sit in the seat that that I'm able to sit in, and for Mac to be able to sit in as well. Um, and so it's like that kind of that collective, but it's bi-directional, like we're learning from each other and then innovating and revising and thinking about the next thing that we're going to do and all of that stuff. So it really is a partnership. It's, it's, it's tons of teamwork here in order to make that happen. So silos, silos don't exist here. Yeah. I, I, I think that partnership piece, I'll just extend you. I've worked with, uh, and seen organizations that have worked with very rigid clinicians that say, this is the only way to do things. And that, mm -hmm. that typically does not get people the best result. And so, um, and the same thing on the tech side where they say this is the only way of doing, doing it. The answer usually is that there's a middle ground that's actually, that's actually the best. Um, and so both sides have to keep open ears and, and sometimes closed mouths, which obviously Ramon wants me to do more since I've been talking a lot on this podcast. No way, no way, no way. You've got way too much experience to like not be able to share with this audience. So, Well, guys, I, I'm excited about what you're doing in the context of Belong. I'm certainly, you know, as, as we're thinking about closing gaps of care and, and, and how we can better um, make meaning and, and bring great service to underserved populations in our world. It's, it's obviously a huge need. And I know that technology and, you know, be, because A, we don't have enough clinicians to meet the need and we don't have enough, um, uh, you know, that problem is not going to get easier in the next several years. It's just going to continue to be a, a a big challenge. Technology has to play an important role in in helping us be increasingly strategic and better pointed in the efforts that we uh, that we have. So I'm I'm grateful for the work that you're doing, and I think it's you know obviously really important and excited to you know continue to watch the uh, the story as things um, as as things unfold in your world. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, in this context, any any final thoughts or, or things that would be good to underscore as we uh, as we conclude here? Uh, I'll give a plug for for the health tech companies out there to focus on how you like, when you're building algorithms or items that are looking to automate practices, make clinicians' time go further or um, be more effective. Don't forget about thinking about how do I inject compassion into my workflow or into this model 
um, so that you're not automating some of the problems that that I think we 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 all face when we're interacting with the health systems as patients ourselves. Um, no one likes a decision to be made without uh, in the background without knowing why um, our care is being affected one way or another. Um, I think we see a lot of that with like prior authorizations and denials. It's very heavily in the news for payers today. Um, that's a great example where algorithms were used to make decisions and those decisions are not always explained to members in a timely or effective way. Um, and so uh, we as an industry in health tech and analytics and data have to get better at making sure that we're delivering those messages in as compassionate a way as possible because that's the only way you're going to convince somebody to either make a behavior change or to help steer their own healthcare journey in a, in a, in a more effective way. Yeah, that's a great word uh, for sure. Ramon, anything from your perspective? My plug would be, listen, for the, for the health tech companies out there that are looking to, to do more, to do better, to do something you know, deeper in, in, in the work that they're doing, like seeking out like uh, places like Healthcare Matrix to kind of learn about what other people are doing and listening to like Belong Health Story, for example, just to get an idea of like just what some of the possibilities are. And, you know, we're just, we're just touching the surface here. Like the goal is to go deeper and, uh, you know, into, into what we're doing here. So, yeah, the possibilities are pretty remarkable. And Technology is going to be a really critical role. I mean, it just is. There's there's so much coming forward. And, you know, when I hear Mac talking about the importance of in, in interjecting compassion, when we're dealing with, with clinicians who are so extremely pressed and, you know, it, anything we can do to help relieve that burden that might help have an opportunity to, uh, to humanize care where they're able to focus more on delivering the kind of um, interactions that they want to be able to deliver. That's, uh, that's obviously an important part of the mission here. And uh, I know that that's a lot of what you guys are endeavoring to do in helping, helping people that are really have a challenge in navigating what they're up against in, in care, uh, you know, in, in, in getting good care uh, to be able to, to be seen and to be understood and to be well cared for. Super important. And so, absolutely great. That's culture. what we all want, John. Right? That's to be right. Seen and to be that heard. That <laughs> is, uh, it's a critical part, especially when our health is on the line. So, absolutely. Uh, Mac, Ramon, thank you guys so much um, for joining us today, and uh, best to you as you continue the journey with uh, Belong Health. And grateful for your investment here with our audience. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Healthcare Market Matrix is a Ratio Original podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then jump over to healthcaremarketmatrix.com and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate your support in the form of a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does make a difference. Also, while you're there, you can become a part of the Healthcare Market Matrix community and get access to courses and content that's created just for you by signing up for Insights Squared, a monthly newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest health tech marketing insights right to your inbox. Ratio is an award-winning marketing agency headquartered in the Nashville, Tennessee. We operate at the intersection of brand and growth marketing to equip companies with strategies to create meaningful connections 
with the healthcare market and ultimately drive growth. Want to know more? Go to GoRatio.com. That's G-O-R-A-T-I-O.com. And we'll see you at noon central next week for an all new episode from our team at Ratio Studios. Stay healthy.